Yes, so this is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or three, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sophie, very much indeed. The Christian journey is one in which we are being drawn towards the love and the grace of God, realizing all along that Jesus, who calls us to freedom, lovingly reminds us of the costs to true freedom, that it will always involve the painful shedding of some things that we've come to cherish, as well as the things that we've always longed to be freed from. We, if we are Christians, are all being made new in Christ. That is uncomfortable because greed and lies and anger and pretending and harboring prejudice, well, those things are all hard-baked into who we are. We are all being made new in Christ. For each of us, there is a stream of decisions about the parts of our unredeemed selves that we keep and the parts that we shed. For Paul, who wrote Colossians that Sophie just read, this was a constant in his spiritual life. He was fiercely proud of his Jewish roots. And when he first became a follower of Jesus, he was convinced that his life's work was to share Jesus with his fellow Jews. But God wanted him instead to be an evangelist to the Gentiles. 
Paul was a Roman citizen. He was born into a fine and respected family. But he had to give up most of that, facing prison and beatings and torture and the threat of death. Paul was an articulate, trained thinker. He was taught by some of the greatest minds of his day. And he kept his clear thinking, methodical approach. But he also said that it was in weakness that the Spirit was most powerfully able to set us free. It wasn't in brilliantly worded arguments. Paul was a natural leader, someone who people looked to in a crisis. That stayed, though he always lived knowing that he was a follower of Jesus, not a leader. That his allegiance was only and always to Jesus. Paul was passionate for God, a passion that led him early in his life to oversee the imprisonment and the killing of Christians. Well, he kept his passion, but he channeled it into sharing the gospel around the Mediterranean. Each of us in this great journey of shedding our brokenness and even some of the things that we count as our strengths, each of us as we strain towards the love of God will always need wisdom to know what to put down and when. And this list that Sophie read in Colossians 3 is a great start, but it's only a start. We are all being made new in Christ. Barriers between us and others, former hatreds, former mistrusts and prejudice, all of those start to diminish and to fade. We are all being made new in Christ. We're putting on new things all the time. Sometimes those things we put on feel a little bit strange or cumbersome. The first time we try on compassion and humility and kindness and love, those virtues of the Holy Spirit that we see so beautifully expressed in the life of Jesus, they can feel a bit strange. But as we accept these gifts from Jesus, we will grow more truthfully into the child of God that he wants us to be. We are all being made new in Christ. Increasingly, as we grow as Christians, we are able to say, Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And we're able to say of our own lives that we are doing everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And we start to see more clearly the beauty of a life that is wholeheartedly submitted to him. C.S. Lewis is the Christian writer with the imagination and the humility to help us understand this process. You may have read the book or seen the film at The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Eustace, who's a, an annoying newcomer to the world of Narnia, finds a dragon's treasure. And he puts on a gold bracelet around his arm and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he has become a dragon. And he's discovered that sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he has become a dragon himself. And all of a sudden, he's cut off from his friends and he feels a weight of loneliness and he desperately wants to change. And that night, Aslan, the great lion, uh, who in C.S. Lewis's writing is, is his picture of God, Aslan comes to Eustace and leads him to a large well, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. It's a tiny bit like our baptistry over here, but only a tiny bit. And he says, the water was so clear 
And, he, and Eustace thought if he could just get in there, into the water, it would ease the pain from the bracelet uh, that he'd put on when he was a human. But Aslan, the lion, says to him, you've got to get undressed before you get into the water. And Eustace found that no matter how many layers of dragon skin he managed to peel off himself, he was still a dragon. Then Aslan says, you will have to let me undress you. This is what Eustace says. He says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was, I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let Aslan do it. He says, the very first tear that he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the skin peel off. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much because I was so tender underneath. And he threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. That scene always grabs my heart. It reminds me, as a Christian, that I cannot fix or change myself. It paints a beautiful picture of baptism and transformation to new life. It humbles me as I put myself into Eustace's place. And any of us who've been Christians for a while would say that even long after our initial baptism, we all have the ongoing challenge of surrendering to God's work in our lives, which can be painful, even when it's a good pain. And I love how C.S. Lewis ends the scene. He says, it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was different. To be strictly accurate, he began to be different. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But the cure had begun. Things that we heard, and we've distilled those into two a very particular questions that we'd like to address in the time that we have left uh, tonight. Uh, and the first question is this, uh, what would we say as a church uh, to a young person who's happy uh, in their gender identity? I think in particular, we're thinking of someone maybe who's, who's in their teens uh, and is uh, just feeling uh, unhappy or conflicted about this. And what would we as a church say uh, to that person. I want to say some really important things. The first one is a very warm welcome to our imperfect church. And we want you to feel at home here uh, with us. And we are completely and utterly not here to judge you. One of the many compelling reasons that we as a church follow Jesus is his radical welcome of all. His rule-breaking love and tenderness with people. And that radical inclusion is a key reason that we are part of a church. And we would love you to be part of this one. We are all on a journey of new life in Jesus, coming to see that we are new creations because of his love, 
that we are made in his image, an image that he wants to restore in us. And we also recognize that he wants to use us to bring healing and restoration in his world. All of us who are Christians at this church would describe this experience, as I said earlier, of being drawn towards God's love and grace, but also a painful shedding of some of the outer layers of our identity that we originally treasured or even protected. The second thing we would want to say is that we are all uncomfortable in our own skin. And anybody who says differently is just making it up. Some of, us, some of us would pretend that we don't, but we're all uncomfortable, whatever age or stage we are, about how we look and how we appear. But puberty and adolescence can be horrible, a time when we are deeply uncomfortable about our bodies. And we want to say uh, to any young person here tonight or listening, that the strength of the negative feelings that you have about yourself and your body will normally not last forever. It is part of being human, especially in our digital age, to feel that our bodies are horrible and that we hate them. The third thing we want to say is that we believe that each of us is made in the image of God. That doesn't mean that we are perfect, clearly, either physically or spiritually or emotionally. But it does give us each a unique dignity. Throughout human history, groups of people have been made to feel that they were not good enough. That might be because of the color of their skin, might be because of their gender, might be because of the caste or the class they were born into. This, we believe as Christian people, is deeply wrong. And we delight to worship a God who wants to build a global community of all colors and shapes and sizes. We believe that each of us is made in the image of God. We believe that being part of being made in God's image is that there are certain things about us on a biological level that we receive, that we get to build with, we are clearly not all the same. And clearly our parents' looks and attitudes and body types get passed down to us. And every cell in our body has either male or female foundations. There are thousands of ways to express that female or maleness as a gift of God and to work through how to live as the unique and the loved person that you are. Next, we'd want to say uh, to anyone here or anyone listening that with the deepest respect, it is nearly impossible uh, for you now to understand uh, the risks and the uncertainties of going down the road of puberty blockers and hormonal treatments and poss possible surgical treatments. We could not have known at your age what it means medically to change our gender, that it may involve becoming an infertile adult, unable to conceive naturally, or that it could spoil our capacity to experience the beautiful reality of sexual fulfillment, or what it could mean to be dependent on hormones and medical care for the rest of our lives. 
So we would share a concern with you that the rosy future that is sometimes held out to you is not as rosy as people say. Next, we'd want to say, please listen to as wide a range of voices as possible. We understand that it's hard, but we would say, please listen to your parents, your grandparents, your family, your friends. Listen to your counselor. Listen to your GP. We'd love you to be part of our wider church community. And you will see here in this church community a whole lot of different models of what it means to be a woman or to be a man. Don't necessarily think that people who are urging you to be cautious or to slow down are doing so because they hate you. This is how one person described our experience. They said, my online experience, having been affected by that level of groupthink, that level of moral policing, and the constant implicit threats of social exposure and ostracization, made me an intensely internal and anxious person. It made me paranoid about the motives of people around me. I saw my parents as bigots because Tumblr told me to, because they held out for so long to prevent me from starting hormones. We would also say, please be patient. Please do as little as possible that makes permanent changes to your body. Many people in your situation grow into a deeper self-acceptance, and so please do as little as you can to change your body. Often your mind and your spirit catch up. And the last thing we'd want to say uh, to a young person who's happy, unhappy in their gender identity is that we as followers of Jesus have started to learn what it means to have hope in suffering. And we, we know in a small part what it means uh, to fight with anxiety, uh, to fight uh, with an overwhelming feeling that things are wrong and hard and difficult. And we are really happy to share that with you and walk with you. And we recognize that those who have suffered and those who have struggled deeply do become uniquely well-placed to help and support other people. And maybe that will be you in a few years' time. So those are some of the things that we want to say as a church community to anyone here tonight who would describe themselves as unhappy in their identity, their gender identity. And in a little while, we're going to come back and ask the question, well, what would we say as a church to people who just think the church has got all of this absolutely wrong? We want to say lots of important things. The first one is this. We would want to say we completely agree that no one should be bullied or vilified or excluded because of how they experience or how they live out their gender identity. And we believe this of every minority, including those who are born into sex and have been historically ignored and overlooked and misrepresented. And we completely agree that it is important to provide early support uh, for all those who are experiencing gender dysphoria. 
people who are unhappy in their gender identity. We are well aware as a church through our own support of young people in this community that provision for the mental well-being of young people is wholly inadequate. Thirdly, we completely agree that gender stereotypes can be crushing and oppressive, particularly to women, and that the burden of leading a digital life magnifies people's feelings of inadequacy. Where we begin to disagree is that we want to challenge and undermine and overturn social constructs and stereotypes. We want to examine and, if necessary, overturn some of our culture's lazy and casual stereotypes about what it means to be a woman or a man. There should be a tremendous breadth to both. It seems to us as though parts of the transgender movement are reinforcing those stereotypes with narrow views of what it means to be a woman or to be a man. And so saying to people that if you don't fit in with this narrow stereotype, you'd better change your gender. And we'd want to say, coming at exactly the same situation, why not change the stereotype? Next, we're concerned that parts of the transgender movement have an hysterical and intolerant tone, shaming people, closing down debates and free speech. We are trying to find a constructive and respectful way to talk about these really important issues, uh, partly because they impact so deeply on the well-being of people. We're also concerned that the, what you might call the anti-scientific tone of the debate, or parts of the debate, as though psychiatric and psychological professionals don't have profound insight and experience to bring to help those who are experiencing gender dysphoria. And those same professionals are also very well placed to understand the stories of the growing number of people who deeply regret submitting to hormonal replacements and surgical interventions, people who decide to transition back to their biological sex. Uh, next, uh, we implore you to listen to the many feminists who are deeply alarmed by some of the things that are being said. The steep rise in the number of adolescent girls who are experiencing gender dysphoria must be investigated to see if it owes anything to our wider society's demeaning of women and obsession with how women look. Prominent feminist thinkers are sharing deep concerns uh, that we will be less able to protect women and young girls in the future, and that if we can't name sex-based oppression, then we can't fight it. Next, we just want to say and we agree with you in many ways on this, but I think we'd want to achieve it in different ways, that we want to protect and nourish children and suggest that this is best done through patient therapeutic support. And lastly, we would gently and respectfully want to say we'd love to hear your thoughts on the logical next step for the arguments that are being advanced and proposed. If you remember, there was widespread condemnation in 2015 when Rachel Dozal 
was self-identifying and living as a black woman even though she was born to white parents. So what would we say to someone who felt they were born into the wrong race? Someone who was, felt deeply unhappy as a white person and wanted surgical or chemical interventions to enable them to live as a black person? What would we say to someone who wanted a limb removed so they could be the disabled person they believe themselves to be? Both of those examples are real. They are happening now. From our perspective, we would want to find ways to understand why someone is so unhappy in their own skin and to help them to love the skin they're in, just as we encourage people to love and accept their gender. C.S. Lewis wrote to a friend, we must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. The Christian journey is being drawn towards God, his love and his grace. And along the way, Jesus helping us to shed many things. Some of them are pretty obviously harmful to us as people. And some less obviously. We all have idols on which we have built our identity, our looks. We might love our looks or we might loathe them, but still our looks are so much part of what we build our identity on. But also our tribe, our successes, our prejudices, our mistrust of other people. All of those are possible things that we build our identity on. Wherever we are on this journey, the next step is always to lay before God who and what we really are. No pretending. We lay before him what is in us now, today. The bits we're proud of and the bits that we despair of and the bits, frankly, that we are unsure of. 